sentire media. Vittoria nostra, non sarai mutilata. Nessuno può infrangerti i ginocchi, né tarparti le penne. Dove corri, dove sali. La tua corsa è di là dalla notte, il tuo volo è di là dall'aurora. Quel che in Dio fu detto e ridetto, i cieli son men vasti delle tue ali. O oh, victory, you will not be mutilated. No one can break your knees nor clip your wings. Where are you running? Where are you soaring? Your flight is beyond the night, beyond the aurora. It was said and repeated in God, the skies are not as vast as your wings. Hello you. What you're about to listen to is the first of a multi-part mini-series on Gabriele D'Annunzio, the Italian poet, and his occupation of the city of Fiume. As always with my co-host for Fascism 100, Matteo Marconi. Enjoy. Well, here we are after a long hiatus back to Fascism 100, and here we are back with my co-host, Matteo Marconi. Welcome back, Matteo. Great to have you again. Uh, welcome, everybody. Today's episode represents a little bit of a digression, because we're going to be talking about what in Italian we call l'impresa di fiume, so the occupation, or some people say the escapade of fiume, which makes it sound a bit silly, and maybe in some ways it was silly, but it was a bit more serious than what we would consider today an escapade. But in particular, we're going to be talking about the Italian poet Gabriele D'Annunzio. So, Matteo, why in our discussion of the evolution and the history of fascism do we need to talk about an Italian poet? Why do we feel that Gabriele D'Annunzio and the uh, occupation of Fiume is an important step when talking about fascism? Gabriele D'Annunzio gave to fascism what uh, fascism didn't have, um, a cultural background. Uh, he created, uh, not for the fascism, he created by himself because he was uh, an exponent of the decadentism, a literary movement that grew in France in the late and late 19th century. His, this movement and this, this particular writer uh, give to fascism what fascism didn't have, a, back, a cultural background that, need, that fascists needed to be, to be welcomed to the, to the intellectual elite and to be sustained by cultural movement. So sort of cultural legitimization in a certain yes, sense. Yes, a sort yeah. of legitimization that fascism didn't have. And, and uh, after the nuncio, he gained a lot more of... Uh, a following. A following by futurism, 
that without denuncia, maybe fascism couldn't uh, achieve. So it, it's very important for fascism to have uh, this uh, writer as a vate. I don't know what's the English for vate, but... Uh, yeah, it's sort of the name that's given to D'Annunzio as the, 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 the great poet, the sommo poeta, let's say. Or... Yes, just like a father, a father, mm-hmm. just like a... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting, that distinction. Uh, it's kind of the fate that maybe Nietzsche had with Nazism, that, you know, Nietzsche, you can't say Nietzsche was a Nazi at all, but sort of he was then appropriated yes. by... Uh, Nazism as D'Annunzio was by fascism because we must say again you said at the beginning Matteo D'Annunzio was not a fascist indeed although initially in his political activity before the Fiume escapade or the occupation of Fiume he had started off being elected with the right yes and then he uh, said the famous phrase vado verso la vita I'm going towards life and he moved to the the left so he switched alliances in the parliament from left to right so we can definitely not say he was a fascist but his thoughts and and uh, and the impresa di fiume and the fiume occupation was taken up by fascism as as you said correctly their cultural legitimization in a certain sense yes uh, it's a very import- important uh, argument because uh, very italian D'Annunzio was the most Italian of all because he started from left, then he went to right, then he came back to left, to left then he, he decided to, to stay in the middle <laughs> and to give up at the end. But this important parallel... Yes, it's the giving up at the end, which is also quite Italian. Yeah. Quite Italian, <laughs> very Italian. But uh, this is this in parallel with Nietzsche. It's very... It's very uh, important because if Nietzsche died bef- long before the Nazi came out, because he died in 1900, but Nietzsche has the Nunzi became the um, the background for uh, cultural legitimation for fascism and Nazism. But Nunzi in the beginning was uh, a real. Uh, he sustained him Benito Mussolini, but we can't say he was a real fascist. Also, there, there was a bit of a, an ambiguous relationship between fascism, uh, between Mussolini in particular and D'Annunzio. Also, because in later life, D'Annunzio also became a bit of a, an uncomfortable figure for, for fascism. They sort of uh, put him in forced pension, in a certain sense, forced retirement in one of your favorite places in the world, Matteo di Vittoriale, which is D'Annunzio's home on uh, Lake Garda. So um, with fascism, obviously, he was important for fascism, but then he was a bit of an uncomfortable figure for fascism because he didn't really fall in line fully with what Mussolini was doing. No, no, he he wasn't uh, in line with what Mussolini was doing. He, he, he always uh, he's always been a strong anti-German um, anti-German activist. Yeah, 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 yeah. He hated Germans. Germans. He didn't want th- that Italy could uh, ally with uh, the, uh, with the, the Germans, Germans yeah. with Adolf Hitler in particular. But in the beginning, he gave to fascism the. The words fascism didn't have. Yeah, and and some of the sort of the symbolism, the symbolism. and the rituals, you know, the, the famous uh, speeches on the balcony, which made Mussolini famous, were, were started up by D'Annunzio when he was the ruler of the, the city that in Italian we call Fiume, which is current day, the current day city of, uh, in Croatia, of... Rijeka. Yeah, Rijeka. Um, so some of the symbolism, and, and we could say in a certain sense that D'Annunzio gave 
to fascism another thing with, that it needed, which was a secular religion in a certain sense. You know, the cult of the, the, the fatherland, um, the, the, the symbolism of the, the flames, of, uh, and, a certain, and a certain series of rituals and symbolism that, as you say, fascism was lacking before D'Annunzio. Or, let's say, we can say that fascism uh, was born in a certain sense. We know that the fasci di combattimento uh, were formed in 1990, mm-hmm. which was the very year that the, the Fiume uh, occupation started. So, so they go, they're parallel in a certain sense. And D'Annunzio gave the, the tools to, be, to Mussolini to be appealing to the, to the Italians, uh, veterans of the World War I, and to the people who needed uh, something new and uh, something strong, because uh, uh, he talked about Vittoria Mutilata. Exactly, which was one of the, the most important concepts which he gave to those who had been, how can we say, disappointed by the results of the First World War. Uh, Let's remember that Italy was on the winning side of the First World War, but they felt sort of cheated from the results of of the the Treaty of Versailles. And so um, D'Annunzio came up with, uh, in in his famous writing, the uh, Preghiera di Sarnaglia, which we uh, basically read from at the beginning. He came up with this concept that you mentioned of the Vittoria Mutilata, the mutilated victory, the incomplete victory, which was then one of the uh, most important uh, marching points or one of the central concepts that Mussolini used to take power and to sway the opinion of the Italians to his side. Because in Italy, after World, World War I, there were, there were hundreds of uh, thousands of uh, uh, veterans, veterans who fought the war, who died, and uh, who lost their, their, their family, their, their, families their, or their, their properties. They felt that their, their victory was uh, being was uh, almost useless in a certain sense. They felt certain cheated by the result because Italy did not get everything that, that uh, they he deser- wanted. She, from, uh, she deserved. She or it? <laughs> well, we let's say she it. <laughs> she, 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 our, our and, uh, mother Italy. I, and uh, the nuns had a wonderful idea because talking about uh, Vittorio Mutilata, uh, scarred victory. Yeah, a mutilated mutilated victory, victory. Yeah, You can see uh, um, a Greek statue. A statue that is called Nike of mm-hmm. Samotracha, and if you look on uh, on the internet, you see this this, this statue, and represent um, a, a Greek statue without uh, arms, arms, mm-hmm. and and and, and, and yeah, a head. Yeah, this this imagine represent perfectly what after the, the World War One we won, but our victory was incomplete or, or not incomplete. Uh, recognized in a certain sense. In, in, the, in the common sense of, of, that, um, of these years, I don't think we've been mutilated. I think First World War was a, uh, un yeah, a useless uh, massacre. Uh, but however, we did have this sense of having won the war and then having been cheated by this. Cheated. And so there were certain groups in particular, we're saying, Matteo, the veterans, in particular, we could mention a special elite force which was formed during the war, the Arditi, which would translate to something like the... The brave... No, no. Fearless. The fearless, exactly. The fearless, who were very prominent in the post-war period. And indeed, if if we... uh, Then we're going to get down to the actual story of the uh, occupation of Fiume. It was a group of these Arditi who swore, who who did the famous Giuramento of Ronchi, uh, so this uh, Oath of Ronchi, 
seven men in particular who swore that they would take Fiume or die trying, and but they needed a leader. And when it came time to think about who could be their leader for this endeavor, the first man they thought of and called up was Gabriele D'Annunzio. But before we go there, Mattel, let's talk a bit about the character. This man is a very particular man, very particular character. He was a poet. Uh, he was a, a sort of a, a very bohemian lifestyle. Let's talk a little bit about his life in general first. Uh, he was uh, a poet and he wrote uh, a lot of uh, for, the- for theater. And uh, he was a sort of uh, a crossroad of different um, uh, ideas because he was, a, he was not a conservative in some way. He was a an anti-bourgeois uh, a radical in certain ways radical. in his behavior. So he gained uh, um, success even from the left to the right. From the left because he was anti-establishment. Uh, he yep. was anti-bourgeois, yeah. as you say. And uh, to the right, because they celebrated a sort of life... Uh, um, sort domi- of a religion of the homeland, we can say. The religion so of the homeland. Nationalism. And nationalism. Italianism. And, uh, Italianism and uh, as a celebration for the pure act. I don't know how to translate. Atto puro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the act in itself, the pure act. The action pure, for action. Action state. for action. And a sort of celebration of death. Death not for itself, but death for dying for something... More, more important or more... Uh, yes, the famous pro-patria mori. Uh, pro-patria mori, or maybe even dying for love, which is uh, the theme. Lots of his work, of his, uh, work, of his uh, um, novels, mm-hmm. like Il Piacere. Mm-hmm. You could die for your fatherland and you could die for love. And uh, these two poles are... Uh, quite uh, um, fashionable, even from uh, from every point of view. Ah, not, yeah, not, not only for left, not, not yeah, only yeah. for right. Yeah, sort of universal themes in a certain sense, uh, dying for poetic and he love. And he was a creator of uh, fantastic uh, uh, spots. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah well, you know, sort of adverts in adverts, a certain sense. Adverts. He was very far, very far ahead of his time in sense of marketing in a certain sense. He understood the value of cinema, Uh, way before anybody else. And he even, he even sort of, um, how can we say, anticipated the invention of television. He said, you know, this cinema one day will be, we will find a way to fix these images on uh, some kind of frame that people can hang in their houses and then watch over and over again. So he was very much aware of everything new, technological. So he loved technology, he loved the cinema, he loved cars, planes, anything mechanical, anything modern, everything beyond the time, something very much tickled his fancy, we can say. And if you have the fortune to visit his uh, villa in Lago di Garda, Vittoriale, you can find a theater, a cinema inside his villa. You can find planes, racing cars. It was a, uh, he celebrated the moder- modernity. Modernity, yes, yeah. yes, he was a great lover yeah. of modernity. And, and one interesting little fact is that Gabriele D'Agnunzio was probably one of the very first Italians to be fined for speeding. Uh, so he had this love for speed, for exaggeration in all senses. Probably a lot of the time he was under the effect of drugs as well. So yes, that, cocaine, cocaine, cocaine particularly. So uh, that obviously helped his, his speeding. And he was uh, extreme in every way. So uh, surrounded by scandal, he was married, he had three children, but he had a whole series of different lovers, deeply in debt, he had to escape 
relatively early in his life to uh, to Naples. He was originally born in Pescara, so in the current day, or it was already then, it was the, the region of uh, Abruzzo, Abruzzo. Uh, which Pescara is the regional seat. And so having to escape, he moved around Italy, ended up escaping to Naples to escape his creditors, uh, found another lover in, in Naples. And another interesting fact, he was, um, although obviously uh, nudity and pornography has existed ever since man has been able to draw... Uh, with regard to photography, early nude photos and pornographic photos were of anonymous, so uh, naked men, naked women, but without uh, being recognizable. Gabriele Dagnonzi was perhaps the first Italian uh, who, name and surname, can be identified in a naked photo. Indeed, if, if you're interested, you can Google uh, Gabriele D'Annunzio nude or naked, and you can see a photo with his, uh, let's say, his manly attributes uh, <laughs> on display and, and see him. He, he wasn't exactly like, say, you know, a Schwarzenegger or an Adonis, but he, he, was, was, a, he was short, very short. He was a short guy, skinny, <laughs> but he, he was not uh, afraid to put it no. out there in the very physical uh, sense we can say so so we had this this poet which was exaggerated this this bohemian lifestyle in a certain sense and then as we talk about the uh, the endeavor the occupation of Fiume we'll see how that translated also into the the one the year or so that Fiume was was ruled uh, by D'Annunzio but at a certain point he really became uh, obsessed with the whole concept of what in Italian we call irredentismo so the sort of extending Italy to what could be considered its historical rightful borders. And that was also a very important concept also for fascism, that of irredentismo. So getting back to Italy, what, what Italy deserved to have back in a certain sense. So the concept of irredentismo, getting back what, what uh, you feel is, is rightfully yours, brings us to the whole uh, endeavor of Fiume. Uh, as we said at the beginning, it was something which sort of Fiume was already in D'Annunzio's sight. He'd already written and spoken about it. So let's say when the invitation came by this group to for him to head an actual invasion or, or an occupation of Fiume, he quite happily took up the invitation. And indeed, so September uh, of 1919, uh, D'Annunzio is in Venice, staying in Venice. He writes, the die is cast, il dado è tratto, and he sets off for Ronchi, an Italian town in the Veneto area, in his uh, car, in his R4 car, uh, apparently a car that in, it, in all of Italy only the king, I believe, uh, had, aside from D'Annunzio or very, very few other people, sets off for Ronchi, and that's where the impresa di fiume where the uh, occupation of fiume starts thanks very much for listening we hope you found that conversation interesting next time we'll see how the occupation of fiume went and how gabriele d'annunzio and his ragtag band dealt with the consequences of actually ruling over a city as always you can get in touch hello at a history of italy.com and on the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media and get in touch, or support us from the support page. If you become a Patreon supporter, you can have access to advert-free episodes and extra content. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, resistete, resist, resist, resist.
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.